This is debatable. I'm Dominique Foxworth. That's Israel Gutierrez. We got some more basketball. The Celtics are holding off the heat, right? Alabaster, what you got? So it is 3-2 in that Celtics heat series. We just watched a whomping. The Celtics whomped heat culture. Are you starting to think that <coughs> the heat <coughs> might <coughs> choke away a 3-0 lead for the first time in NBA history? I want to know when you thought about the idea. You're like, you know what? I'm going to cough through this one. That'll get them. <laughs> I'm not just going to use womp, but I'm going yeah. to cough through it. I'm going to repeatedly womp and then choke while I say it because that's going to be perfect. Like, I mean, the heat. This was well, are we going to talk? Can, can it be a whomping if the Heat won the second half, by the way? <laughs> Pulling my <laughs> oh, Joe Missoula card we, right there. We are quarter counting. That's what we're doing. Quarter well, counting. you know, again. two quarter yeah. counting, half counting. Uh, uh, this was such a strange game. Like early on, and no, I, I think Jimmy Butler has had these types of games before, these types of stretches, but there's certain times where you're just like, what? Like, there was <laughs> what? And I think even like some of his shot selection here, it was like, you know, he was, they were not going for his pump fakes. And then I don't know, he would shoot it anyway or, and get blocked. Like, and then he was short on, it just seemed weird. Right. And then in those moments where Jimmy is not himself and, you know, maybe somebody's not hitting threes to sort of keep the offense afloat. It's like all the eyes of all of heat nation and everybody just focuses directly on Bam Adebayo and says, you, you have to do something now. And they just, it just, it's on him. And I get that. Like he should have to have to uh, perform here. He should have to give up, give some numbers there to back up uh, uh, Jimmy. But if you look at the actual game, like shooting wise, the heat were fine. It was 51% shooting 39 from three. They just panicked at times and like turned the ball over. And they looked a lot like the Celtics looked in game three in Miami where just every single swipe at the ball would result in a turnover and the Celtics are playing harder. They were, you know, uh, aggressive with their defense and, you know, a backdoor cut would help every once in a while in Miami. But uh, yeah, they just, they kind of forced Miami into a bunch of mistakes uh, and it looked sloppy. But when you like look at the box score, you're just like, how the heck did the heat shoot 51% in that game? It looked like they were getting trounced the entire game. Yeah, I will not take this opportunity to point out how dumb everyone sounded for saying that the Celtics quit because the Heat look a lot like the Celtics today. And I'm pretty sure that they didn't quit quit because Heat culture and they're up by a bunch of games and all that <laughs> stuff. But I, I do think that the offense was so like stagnant and stuffy and uncomfortable. And I, and that's what you stand to have when there aren't a lot of people that can create their own shot. The one person mm -hmm. who you think that you can rely on to create his own shot is having a rough game. And I guess shooting percentage wise, not that rough, but generally uh, in the teens for scoring for Jimmy Butler is pretty bad. And then I saw some real bad possessions for Bam. One of the special things about Bam is he's, incredibly athletic and handles the ball well for a big man but I saw him like do that whole face-up move where he kind of mm. catches it uh on the post a little bit and then spins to face up and then attacks the defender off the dribble where he might have some athleticism advantages but he did it a couple times where he just looks so uncomfortable like he seemed yeah. surprised there was plenty of time on the clock he seemed panicked and uncomfortable it's just a weird looking game for the heat the entire time Bam doesn't have the largest offensive bag. He's got maybe a little bit like a clutch, maybe. Yeah, he's just got a few go-tos, and that's about it. Um, and so that's why 
it's just like, all right, if if you don't have anything going, um, you know, the last thing you want to do is try to take it into the post against Robert Williams, who's bigger than you, is going to block everything. Um, it does get a little uh, frustrating from the Heat's perspective to not have Bam be able to attack Al Horford. They sort of give him a little deference to him, a little bit too, uh, I think, uh, over the top. But um, in the overall, like, first of all, a Heat team can't continue to lose players and still be, you know, what it was before. But what I'll say about every single championship team, and this could be either one of these teams, there's always a point during the playoff run where things seem as bleak as ever, and it feels like you're not going to win it. And the Celtics have been there now for two games, and their response has been what you would expect. You wouldn't expect to have to have them get to that point to have to respond like this, given, you know, this mission that they're on, but they're responding so far. The heat for the first time really is facing that level of, Oh, okay. I was playing with house money, but it's kind of running out now. And they're facing that look of, okay, if we are a championship team, which, you know, they've been probably convinced themselves of for the last couple of weeks then this is the type, this is the time where it's going to look really bad. It's going to look worse if they lose game six, but this is the time where it's going to look really bad. And this is the time where they're going to have to respond really. And so I don't think this team plays well with the house money approach. And yeah. I think you're going to get a good effort out of them from game six, especially when they dissect this game and say, just don't turn the ball over. Mostly yeah, you the, the Celtics have been in that backup against the wall position a number of times. This young core has at least and most recently last round and they showed up and Tatum showed up with that 51 point game. And this time the entire team seemed to answer. And a lot of it boiled down to shots going in and not going in. I, I think we all accept that the Celtics are a more talented team. So like when the hmm. Celtics are playing their best, and the Heat are playing their best, I think the Celtics will win. If the Celtics are playing their best and the Heat are playing whatever this was today, which was not their best, then they're no. going to get blown out. So it's it's as simple as that. I think uh, Joe Mazzula feeling good, good for him. Get these adjustments that you didn't or did make. It doesn't matter. You won the game, so we are going to say that you got it all addressed. And the intensity that they played with was – impressive and not shocking for a team that has like prideful veteran players who've been in tough moments and proven themselves over and over again. I think you made an awesome point about the back against the wall and you kind of see it happens for a championship. We saw that happen with the Nuggets in the last round a couple of times where it's not back against the wall, but the Lakers should have won a couple of those games. Like they had the advantage and you saw what happened. So to see the Celtics do it right now gives you a little bit more hope. But at some point, the shot's not going to fall. They can't do this two yeah. more times, right? Well, it was funny because when they were, uh, when the TNT guys were interviewing Gabe Bitson after game three, and they were just sort of asking him essentially back-to-back -back ways questions, uh, hey, what's it like to have that freedom as a role player and not think your, your main guys need to take over? It's almost like the Celtics players were like, hey, that was us. That used to be us. Like Derek White, uh, Malcolm Brogdon, Marcus Smart, we could all have a game at any given time. Like Marcus Smart usually sets that tone uh, of, hey, I can take a shot at any given time because I, I believe in myself. Well, I got to give that team credit because it feels like the last couple of games they've remembered that, especially yeah. Derek White. Like he was, you know, six for eight today is on fire. But in concert with that has to be your best player being aware that you guys need to get involved and so 
in a game where you thought Jason Tatum was going to be like, oh, I'm 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 front running here. I'm feeling myself. I'm just going to hit some shots. 11 assists didn't even take. I mean, he took it 16 shots, but he could have taken 10 more if he wanted to and just was controlling the game. And even when it got, um, you know, to a double figure deficit, didn't like coast, didn't like take a bunch of, you know, silly shots and see if he was on. He just kind of maintained, played the game. And finished, like I said, with those double figure assists. So that was a great performance for him. But uh, you know, that's what you that's what the luxury is of being up 3-0. You can do yeah. this, you can try to try to recover, have a couple of uh of you know, spit-ups, if you will, and then try to seal the deal in game six. Yeah, the Celtics, to your point, the Celtics had four players with 20 in the 20 point range, uh nobody in 30, which is a pretty well-rounded attack. You look at the heat, they had zero players. With 20 points. Well, the starters were less than their normal selves. Like, yeah. Jimmy was not even his usual self. So. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Duncan Robinson, leading score with 18 points. That's going to be a tough way to win. That's what we're looking at right now. And, I and just Jimmy saw had... the assist leader for the Heat. Yeah. It was also Duncan Robinson. Nine assists? That has to be a career high. Yeah. Hang on. Do you want to ask another question while I try to figure out if that was an assist, a career high or a typo? A well-timed interjection. Go ahead, Alabaster. Okay, so the Celtics are three-point favorites on the road in game six. The Heat are still slight favorites to win the series. Who do you guys view as the favorite to come out of the East? I still think it's the, at at this point, I still think it's the Heat. Uh, The Celtics have been inconsistent. And getting in a 3-0 hole is going to be tough to come out of. Uh, If it comes down to a game seven, obviously it's anybody can accomplish that. And it's uh, and you can throw out the history books. I don't know. I can't think of any cliches. I'm sleepy. But I still think that at some point the Celtics, who have been notoriously inconsistent, will at some point inconsist and the heat will inconsist. win. Yeah. Well, I mean, they've won what four out of five in Miami, the Celtics have. Uh, and I, I don't know. I think they've got their confidence back. I think, you know, especially Jalen Brown after that weird stretch of like air balls, uh, even the first one in this game looks like he's got some confidence back. I think, you know, they're going to come in thinking they can, they can win game six. Grant Williams uh, inserted back in the rotation I always thought they should have had him in the playoff rotation. It didn't really make much sense that he wasn't, but he's a great fit for this Heat team. I still think the Heat, like I said, are going to look at this game and realize, okay, it wasn't what we thought it was in terms of what the score looked like as, as bad as it was in the first half. It feels like they need Gabe Vincent. It feels like they need something because you can't really rely on buckets from Kyle Lowry at this point. I don't know if he's not feeling great, but he's not looking for his shots. Uh, in the last couple of games. So um, I'm still still think the Heat can win it. Um, I think what's, what's going to really tick off the Celtics when they look back is like they should have been able to win one of those first two games at yeah, home, especially that. game two. Like championship teams don't lose that second game after, you know, giving up the first one. And they did. And they might kick themselves for it because, uh, yeah, from like you said, I'm agreement. When they're at it's, their best, they're a better team. Is Jimmy Butler going to be at all embarrassed if this happens, considering he did the timeout thing? He's been kind of like easy go lucky or not. the Yeah, the timeout stance to get back yeah. at Horford. He's been kind of having fun with this series the whole time and it's been kind of dismissive. I feel yeah. like these Celtics guys really do have an opportunity here 
to make Jimmy look bad. You're in the you ever been at the craps table and that, you know, that big pile is starting to get lower and lower. And you're just like, man, that's 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 the house money there. That's the stuff I'm supposed yeah. to be OK with playing. And you're just you still don't feel good, even though you have extra money. And, you know, you still don't feel good about it. But I think um, I think, yeah, I think you're going to see a good game from Bam and Jimmy. And and unless somebody else gets hurt, you'll probably have much. I, I just don't have the Celtics getting those same shots, making those same shots um in Miami for a long enough stretch to take them out of the game so if nothing else this team that's played a million close games are going to be in another close game in game six yeah I mean the emotional toll that it takes from uh to get up for a game like this I think is significant and they're going to have to provide this level of intensity and probably higher because the heat won't be as bad they'll make one of these next two games uh competitive so they'll have to have this level of intensity, but also not have a 20 point lead at any point and not be and not pull away. So that's yeah. really hard to ask for any team to like match this level of NBA conference finals level intensity with a team like the Heat that are going to be intense, if nothing else. That's a lot to ask for any team. So I, I think at some point they slip up, especially since their style of play is so three-point dependent. They were hitting them today, and they're good when they hit those threes. And that's something that you can't really count on. At some point, you're going to miss enough shots that it's going to be close. And it, it, that's, yeah, to your point, they're going to be kicking themselves because it's a series that they are demonstrating now that they could have won if they would at least stole one of those games early. And uh, in Miami, things would be different, but they didn't. So now, I'll tell you when I knew the game, when it was going to uh, go lost, to a game not six. Not in Miami because they lost the home game, right? Yeah, that was the, that was the embarrassing part is that they blew both their home games. Sorry. That's all right. When Allie LaForce did a report on Gabe Vincent and said, as if it was a certainty, he will be available for game six. I was like, all right, the script has been written. She let it loose. She let it out. We're getting to game six. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, the, the idea that Gabe Vincent was going to be such an important piece, pivotal piece, is mind-blowing. All right, Alabaster, interject away. Well, you were saying that it's just about the Celtics shooting threes. It's also about the Heat shooting threes. Like, they were shooting around 50% for the first right. three games of the series. And obviously, they, they shot fine tonight from distance. They're at 39%. But... That inconsistency can swing it to me just as much as the Celtics. If they have a if they have a couple cold shooting nights, that's not the same team we saw the first three games. Right. No, it's not. And frankly, I would say while they did shoot it okay, uh, they didn't put up as much as they would like to. Like 23 threes. Um, you probably want if the Heat's really playing to their liking, they're touching the paint a lot, they're kicking it back out, they're probably putting up about 30 threes and hoping to make like 11 or 12 of those. So um, I would say something was up with the offense there. Really, Jimmy Butler getting to the free throw line six times. Like, I, I think if if you just take out the Milwaukee series and then just look at this team over the last two series, the Heat, they've done enough to beat the Knicks. They played two great games in Boston. But over the stretch of those games, have they played great? They've played really hard, and they've done what they have to do to win. Haven't really played great. Um for an extended stretch, I expect a, a big game from them in game six. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that a three-point shootout is what uh, plays into the Heat's advantage. 
I would think because the volatility in that, the less talented team, I think is probably in a better position. You know, what's really hard to do is consistently create baskets when people run you off of catch and shoot threes. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm no Joe Missoula, but I, I would think that the, the thing you would want to do is get the ball out of Jimmy Butler's hands. And as easy as I'm making this sound, also run those guys off the three-point line. Make them put the ball on the ground and create in the paint against Robert Williams or, yeah. or uh, Al Horford. I, I will man, give I Joe this. I coach. think, I think, I'm probably going to need like Zach Lowe to confirm this with a little uh, film study. But I'm pretty sure what he's doing against that heat zone is just putting those wing shooters just a little wider. So those zone defenders at the top have to recover harder. And, you know, I, I doubt they're going to like somebody like Derek White's probably gonna, not going to take that, you know, hash mark three from like 28 feet out. But in that sort of frantic recovery, he's probably got more options for the closeout uh, to attack the closeout. So I think Missoula has made some adjustments here that maybe he's not going to get enough credit for. But uh, to me, it's, you know, if Derek White misses those first two threes instead of making them, you know, we're talking about probably a different flow to that game. And and maybe they're just saying they still can't attack that uh, their defense properly. Real hard to uh, find something else to talk about in basketball when sometimes it just comes down to who hitting them shots, who not hitting them shots. All right. We got to check. What's next? All right, guys. The, the LeBron James retirement. Speculation, next team speculation, the media circus is ongoing. Kevin O'Connor was writing about why he could retire, what his leverage play is, and he dropped a little nugget that Colin Coward also dropped. What if LeBron James wants to play for the Warriors? How would you feel if LeBron played for the Warriors next season? I'd like to just sort of get a list from LeBron of his priorities because Um, if winning, you know, these championships, is it, uh, getting to six, catching Michael, um, go for it. Like, I don't think that there would be too many people objecting to it and, you know, it'd be fun. It, it kind of makes sense in terms of like LeBron just having fun in his career, doing whatever the heck he wants first, you know, playing in Cleveland, obviously not really his choice got drafted there, but then going to playing with his friends in Miami going back to Cleveland, getting, you know, the one for home, doing this thing in LA. And now it's just like, well, I'm 20, 21 years in, I kind of just want to play somewhere else and kind of want to play with Steph and see what that feels like. And um, I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to be in uh, Los Angeles, you know, two miles away from Bronny James at USC, but doesn't sound crazy. Yeah. I think the, the LeBron James is a basketball genius. And he manipulates the chess pieces on the court better than anyone we have seen since, I guess, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird level passing. Uh, However, what he has done to the media is almost as impressive because (laughs) this is the way that I see it. LeBron got swept in the conference finals and LeBron knows that no matter what happens in any game or any series, After that game or series, the conversation is going to be about LeBron James. And so if he just went up there and said what he was actually thinking and what he was actually feeling, the conversation would have been LeBron James got swept in the conference finals. Michael Jordan never did that. What's this say about LeBron James? So you know what he did at the end of his presser? Here you go. Here's something for you wild animals to chew on over the next week. And we're going to gnaw on it and fight over it and pass it all around. And then 
He spun it forward somehow magically. I mean, he connected that time when he said in that interview one time, the only other player he wanted to play with is Steph Curry. He connected that for y'all and set it up so that we could go have this another unrealistic conversation that is not going to happen. But I'll entertain it. Hmm. Think that I want to be hesitant to react to this because in Alabaster, you're going to like this. I think I was wrong about the Kevin Durant signing with the Warriors. My instinct is always to defend the players, especially against like fans who are like upset at them for making decisions that I think that they are entitled to make. So it goes back a long way, but further than the LeBron James decision. However, the LeBron James decision really drove that home to me that if players are using their power and leverage to to um, force their way out while they're still under contract, so be it. And LeBron didn't even do that, but that's fine. So be it. And I was defending Kevin Durant, but several years out, I do have to accept that. As fun as it was to watch the Warriors run through everybody, it changed something about this, and I'm not sure that I like the way that it came out. And I can't prove a negative, but I kind of feel like if Kevin Durant went somewhere else, maybe that stretch would have been more fun, or maybe LeBron would have gotten more titles. So I guess that's why I'm thinking now my reaction is, sure, by all means, do whatever you want. Be happy. It doesn't bother me, but, yeah. and I guess well, this, I, this is different. It, it, you know what this probably does? I think I'm in favor of it now because I think what I want is the stars, the people that we care about to be in these big moments. And LeBron going there gives us a chance of having two of those guys back in those big moments. I don't think, and by having Kevin Durant move to the Warriors, it like, I guess it minimized how many people we had to get to those big moments or it changed the story of the season. So I guess I feel like I'm fine with it. I think I, 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 the, like really, really the core of me wants to forever remember LeBron V Curry and, you know, LeBron kind of staring back at him at one time and Curry yeah. kind of getting the best of LeBron more often than he did. And just liking that part of the LeBron slash Curry legacies. But I can also see the other side of that story, the end, the ending of that story. Let's play together, not because I need to chase the championships. Although, if you're going to make sure Steph doesn't have more than you, when you both have four, you're going to probably play together, right? Because if you win one, then, hey, you didn't beat me. We got man, the same strategic, number. Strategic, man. <laughs> but I think part of it really could be because LeBron, you know, he's he's an orchestrator, he's a wizard, he's a magician out there. Like, he probably watches Warriors games and is just like, man, I see this pass, I see that pass. All the attention that Steph gets can make magic, like, literally Magic Johnson-like stuff happen out there. And so that part just probably, when, you know, when he's talking at the shop and stuff like that, that's probably just the basketball fan in him saying, man, I'd love to play with Steph, that team. They've got that offense so together, I can just slide right in there. I'd be perfect for them win a couple championships, catch Michael, et cetera. Have Steph catch Michael. We end this story together. But Ooh, yeah, but I just, I, I think he's more, even though, uh, you know, we didn't ask really Bronny if he wants his dad around. 
I think he wants to be around USC and the Lakers. Um, also and if not he's sure going to go somewhere else, go as a free agent the year after I'm that. Also not sure that Steph <laughs> would would like that. If you remember when when it was proposed to him, he didn't seem too interested in it. And I agree. Um, imagining the thing about KD going in, into that offense was he was the player that fits perfectly into any situation. I'm just imagining subbing LeBron into that offense. I'm not sure whose role he takes except for Draymond Green's role. Andrew which, Wiggins. Yeah, but I guess my my view of Andrew Wiggins may be wrong, but Andrew Wiggins seems like a defensive stopper and uh, um, like a movement guy on offense. I, I guess I just don't view LeBron ever in his career, especially now being a nonstop movement guy on offense or the guy that we're like, hey, defense, we need you. I'm sure they can I fix it in a way that's work. It's stupid to think that LeBron and Steph Curry aren't going to work together, but I guess that, that's something that you have, you have to figure out. Yeah, no, the awkward fit is would be LeBron and Draymond. And, right. you know, you're assuming that if LeBron goes to play for the Warriors, that he and his that buddy Draymond are going to be on the same team. But, right. you know, who knows? Um, I, I am in agreement with you, though, that if, you know, Steph Curry is having private conversations, he's like, hmm. I'll go ahead and win it with somebody else. Thanks. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, interjection, what you got? Can I speak for the audience for a second? Sure. If LeBron goes and teams up with Steph Curry, that'll be the softest of all time. Really? It'll wow. be so lame. Really? But yeah, the so two best old. players of the generation, these are rivals. Yeah, I mean, we want this league to LeBron be LeBron changes the game. He changes the but, stories. He changes narratives. Like, okay. I mean, I, I'm, I'm willing to... to to say that there's a possibility that five years from now I can look back and say I was wrong, but I don't think that anyone views them like that anymore. Like it's as good as Steph is. I think he's much closer and he, he's putting up numbers like he's in his prime. So yeah, but LeBron, it just feels like uh, two old guys that are like, all right, we're going to team up one last time. It's like the expendables. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like, and maybe that's not fair to, to lump Steph into that. But it does. It's certainly not like like Durant going there. I guess it, it just doesn't feel like uh, like the two greatest players ganging up on the rest of the league. Would you pick them as title favorites? I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. I mean, it would just be way too intriguing to not like if you put those two on the same team. There'd be a lot of pressure on the GM, on the coach, to make that thing work because. Like it's that's what Charlie said. Like it, it if it if it doesn't work, it's going to get mocked regardless. I have an agreement with him, like especially younger folks are going to be like, oh, that's crazy. Get that out of here. Um, But it's going to be way worse if they get together and don't win, because then Steph's going to be like, what'd you what'd you come here for? <laughs> yeah, I think the person who wants this least is probably Steph. So it'll never happen. Uh, I can't imagine LeBron being on a team where he is not the guy. Like the 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 big guy who makes the decisions that people consult with, and who actually secretly designs the offense uh, in the back room, <laughs> and they have to check with on all roster moves. And I can't imagine that the Warriors, given that they won four championships recently, are interested in in introducing LeBron, not just Steph. I'm not sure that anybody else would be interested in in introducing that an entire son into their already pretty stable uh, solar system. Ah, late night analogies. They're fun. <laughs> I feel confident that Draymond would be very happy to welcome that warm son of LeBron James that he could he nuzzle him. into that uh, 
his his beloved labuzum. Le- um, last topic. Uh, so Shams reported that the NBA's competition committee is discussing potential of an in-game penalty for result of a technical free throw, and they're going to try it out some summer league. Will it make the NBA significantly more watchable if refs start assessing technical foul shots for flops? Dominique, how how bad do you think flopping has been this? Let's just say this postseason. Has yeah. it been something that has been prominent in your mind as you no. watch? No, flopping hasn't been a major issue for me as I watch. I think uh, I'm not even bothered that much about the the complaining to the refs about calls that they missed, but that seems to be more something that needs to be addressed than flopping. And I'll add. You don't need to assess technicals. You need to stop rewarding flops. So, like, I guess you would have to be uh, be very clear about how you define what a flop is because a lot of what I think people call flops are actually embellishing, where it's like they don't call charges when someone runs into you unless you fall down. Yeah. And, like, if someone bumps you, uh, sometimes they don't call it unless you flail. So, like... You have to either change the rules so those are no longer fouls or whistle those fouls when uh, without someone having to draw the ref's attention to it. Yeah, I mean, there needs there needs to be consistency in the refereeing because that's where, you know, in the origin story of the flop is, is, hey, if you're not going to call, I'm going to make sure that you see it uh, because some of these defenders are too good. Um, But, you know, also some of these referees are too bad and they're not seeing it. But there have been this year. I don't I haven't seen the flopping become or be that much of an issue to me, but I've seen where the refereeing is so inconsistent that it's making me think people are just going to start flopping like crazy because a they're going to have to force you know the ref to see it or b they think the refs are so bad that they're going to buy it. And so maybe they're getting ahead of it here uh, with some of this, but um, I, I think there needs to just be more consistency in the way calls are made. And one of the things that is really interesting to me, I don't know if I've heard it more, if just people are saying it more, the rest are saying it more when they make these uh, reviews, but I'm hearing marginal contact, right? Yeah. Like, I think that was a phrase I've heard a couple of times uh, where, oh yeah, that contact was marginal, not a foul. Okay. So we need to be 1000% clear on that. Is it like back in the day, you know, a foul when you see one, or is it, oh, he can't actually even touch me when I'm driving. Therefore, I'm going to do all that and make the game look ugly. I think it needs to be like that subjective thing again. And we need to just know, hey, we know a foul when we see it. And um, that's probably not going to make reviews. Actually, it'll probably make reviews a lot harder to call because right. they're, you know, you're just going to be like, well, uh, I don't know. That looks like contact to me. But um, I, I think those that's where things kind of got away from us because I it think, just became a situation right. where we're going by the letter of the law. So as soon as he touches me, I'm going to embellish. There's the foul. The, this is an admission that the referees can't tell a difference between a flop and uh, actual foul, I think, because mm-hmm. if they could, that would be the, the fix. The fix is stop calling them because you disadvantage your team. You don't need to call a tech. Because by falling on the ground when you have not been fouled, 
then there's a turnover or flopping on a charge that wasn't actually a charge, then you have five on four. But this seems to me that it's just an admission that this is too hard for the referees yeah. to mm-hmm. consistently referee and they need a cop out and somehow they need the players to stop doing it because we can't tell a difference. And I don't know how you fix the speed of the game or the eyes of the ref. Uh, I, I don't know how you fix that. Um, yeah, if you add if more you're refs, Zion, that'll just be more fouls. I, I, there's no way to fix it other than you try to bully the players into not embellishing. If you're Zion uh, and you're actually playing, um, if you are getting hit constantly and not getting the foul call, don't you have because it's it's not going to be you're you're stronger than the other person. Right. You're not going to fall back. Your arms aren't going to come all the way down. Right, but in order for you to see, for the referee to see that it actually happened, he might have to embellish. And then if he does embellish, and then all of a sudden it's called a flop, he's going to get a technical foul. To me, I think it's a bit much over the yeah. top. I think the best way is to continue with the old system of the of the fines. If you want to increase the fines, if you right. want to triple the fine after the first one, do that yeah. and, and get rid of some of the, uh, the chronic uh, floppers. Yeah. But... I think in-game technicals, but, it just get a little bit too... I mean, the only way to police it is they have to be egregious fouls or they have to be egregious, egregious flops. flops. Right, yeah. and I don't feel like we have a rash of egregious flops. It's just not- I don't feel like referees notice it as egregious when it happens. Right. And you're not going to go to the replay. Please right. don't tell me you're going to go for replay to oh, see if gosh. it's... Because like, if you remember Chris Bosh, when he sort of took one to the nose right. uh, from Carlos Boozer back in uh, Chicago one year and went down with his head. And like they went to replay and it just kind of grazed him like this. And like, just, but Chris had to sell it. He had to sell right. it because once he went down, it was like, I got to stay down. So it would look bad for him for, you know, memeable history. But in that game... Referees, even if they did, uh, probably weren't weren't going to call that a flop because that looks pretty bad. Yeah, this is another time when like the conflict between like winning and entertaining, like the dual motives of a professional sports leagues becomes a problem because to optimize the winning is to to create an advantage where you can. But damn, it sure is less fun to watch when you flop it around or we're reviewing plays every four to six minutes so yeah there's no answer hopefully they don't get carried away with this maybe it'll just be like the dress code that clearly is no longer enforced well it's like in my flag football league where i'm playing in a tournament and one of the teams to come back on us faked an injury because they're out of timeouts and refs fell for it now we got to put in a rule that says hey you got no more timeouts and somebody's hurt 30 second runoff very interesting i'm riveted <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you, Charlie. You would have been All if you right. weren't so sleepy. Yeah, I am sleepy. It's, these playoffs, man, they've been wearing my <laughs> out. I want to sweep in the finals. No, I don't. I don't. Actually, that's that's not terrible. I want intriguing stuff because the sooner the NBA finals are over, the sooner we got to talk about baseball. Talk about sleepy. <laughs> well played.